Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Hey, everybody. Zane Naffy here with Al Sacco with the No Huddle Podcast presented by 49ers Web Zone. And we're really excited about this edition of the show. Al, we have a really interesting guest on today. We do. And very excited to have him on, like you said, Zane. And we hear so much about, you know, the Miles Garretts and the Solomon Thomases and, and the high draft picks. But we don't hear a lot about the undrafted guys and what they go through to get a tryout. How do they get to this point? How does the process work and so on? So we're very lucky to have on the show today, fresh off his tryout with the 49ers at Rookie Minicap. Former Lakeland College standout wide receiver, Michael Siobu. Michael, how are you? Good, yourself? Doing good, doing good. Michael, in doing some research on you, I, I read that you actually didn't even play varsity football. How did it come about that you got involved with football at Lakeland? Um, I actually played um, one year, of, like started one year in high school, which was my second year, uh, so sophomore year. And I played safety. And then I I abruptly went to Nigeria to finish off my schooling. So I didn't end up playing football for my junior high school, my senior year of uh, high school. And then I came back and I went to community college. So I didn't play football for three years before I got to Lakeland. Wow. And how did it come about that you played that you played at Lakeland? Um, I honestly just saw Lakeland on like on a friend's Facebook page, like randomly and clicked on there. And I was like, Oh, they had a football team. And I wasn't going to, I was going to go to a community college to play football. Another one in Joliet and that's a place in Illinois, but their football program like just ended. And then because of funding issues. And then Lakeland was the next option. I went on like an impromptu visit and I decided to go to camp the day before uh, camp started. So I like, finally said, okay, I'll go to the school the day before. And I wasn't really going in anticipating I was going to stay four years. So, And Michael, at what point in your college career did you really become aware that NFL teams were scouting you and were interested in you? Um, I, wouldn't, I would say so after my senior season. My first two years, I didn't play at all. And then I had a I had a pretty good junior year, and then I really came into the scene my senior year. Then I went to some All Star games and the regional combines, and heard that the Giants might be interested in me. And then I didn't hear much until I heard a little bit before the draft of 2016 draft. And after the draft, I got a call that I was invited for a tryout. Now. Do the Giants call you personally? Do they call your reps? How, how does that work when you hear that the Giants are interested? Um, I heard from, he's now with the 49ers, Martin Mayu. Oh, okay. Okay. So I heard from him early, early before the draft. And then I just heard from the, the people wanted to arrange my flights and stuff after the draft. So, Michael, in the in the year in between your opportunity with the Giants and and your tryout with the Forty Nineers, how do you how do you stay in football shape? Can you give our listeners a little insight into what you do as far as the physical stuff, the drills, the weightlifting, the diet? What do you what do you do to stay in football shape? 
Well, we have a really good uh, strength and conditioning coach. He's also our receiver coach at Lakeland. So I live literally two minutes, three minutes from from Lakeland. And so I drive there every day with one of my friends uh, that also got a tryout with another team. And um, just we just did a lot of uh, complex movements. And I also went to a next level in Waukesha, uh, Wisconsin, with a lot of good speed coaches there. But that drive was like an hour and 30 minutes drive. So I only went twice a week. So pretty much drove to school, worked out, watched what I ate. Because uh, one of our strength our strength and conditioning coach uh, made me meet this guy named, uh, named Frank. And he's, he was a nutritionist and he helped me out with my nutrition part of it. So I kind of had like a, a big team behind me. Now, after the 2017 draft concludes, Michael, and the, the 49ers are calling to take a look at you, how did that process work? It's, it's a year later after the Giants, the Giants tryout. Was Mayhew involved in getting in touch with you again with the 49ers? Uh, yes, he was. Uh, I went to an all-star game at the Viking Stadium in January, and I sent him my film and just showing him that I was still in football shape. And this was when he was still probably with the Giants, maybe. And then... Find out he got with the 49ers, and I saw that it was probably a chance I could get a tryout there. So and I guess it, it all worked out for the best. So, so Michael, what were the practices like this past weekend? Did they put you through a lot of drills? Or was it just more um, they wanted you just run and catch? Or what? Did, what did you do this weekend when you were when you're out in Santa Clara? It was it was a, it was a, a little bit of uh, of everything. It was just like a normal, like a normal practice to me. Like what I've experienced is like a normal practice doing one on ones. But the the biggest part is just being in the film room because I came from like a no huddle, a no huddle offense. So getting had to get back used to getting in the huddle and the the verbiage is really different that we uh from NFL to especially lower tier uh D three colleges. So that was like the biggest biggest thing I wanted to adjust to but they made it really they really made they made it really easy for everybody to adjust to by having everything scripted out for us and knowing which plays were going to be ran that day so it kind of shrunk our reading so everybody was moving fast and not thinking as much so so do you literally have a meeting before you get out there on the practice field yes we yeah we had we had we had walkthroughs in the morning and then film again and then practice so everybody everything everything was scripted even walkthroughs were scripted so that was the, that was a really good thing and the receiver coach uh, uh mike lafleur he's he's a really good guy and he hit his attention to details what really like made people listen and he's kind of like a player he's kind of a coach that players would want to play for so so did, did you, you have... see... oh sorry go, go ahead, ahead. Zane. sorry no go ahead, go ahead. uh sorry michael so did you did you see any of the veterans out working out with you guys or just uh, in the weight room or did you see any, any of the current draft class yeah, saw, that was drafted? I saw um, Navarro Bowman, Pierre Garcon, Goodwin. They're all working out and some of them in the cafeteria. Did you get a chance to speak to any of those guys? Uh, no, I, I guess Robbie Gold just said what up to me while I was walking past them. That was about it. What were your overall impressions so that you hard, mentioned? It's kind, of, it's, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to tell who some people are just because everybody has helmets on. 
but I know I know I know who Pierre Garcon is for sure because he's a D three guy too. What were your overall impressions? You mentioned a little bit about the receivers coach, just the 49ers coaching staff in, in general. You mentioned their attention to detail. What was your overall impression with the staff? That they, they, the coaches there are really like they're the kind of coaches you would want to play for. They they made it. They, they talked to all the trial players and all the players in one room and they made it seem like we're all like one team. Like we didn't change. They didn't treat us any differently because we're a trial player then. Uh, first round draft pick and that was something that I thought that was cool and he just said that it was a really cool experience that we all should be proud that we made it there because we that, at that moment we made the NFL is about how long can you stay in the NFL so just to, to being the type of culture that you kind of get a feeling even though it's only two days or three days you kind of get a feel like okay like this culture would wa- run through a wall for me so I would run through a wall for him kind of thing. So just kind of keeping with the theme of of the impression that you got of the 49ers, the everybody's really aware of of the 49ers legacy and and the great players that have come through here. Did that really have any influence on on where you wanted to go or where you where you see yourself going? Yeah, like Anquan Bolden is one of my one of my like all-time favorite receivers and just because of our size similarities and like 40 speeds so everything is kind of really 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 similar. So it's somebody's game. I try to uh, try to like copy, in a sense, and try to make it into my own game. Just being an aggressive type of receiver. So yeah, the Forty Nine ers was a team that I was looking at actually last year with the before the Giants that might have been interested, but I chose the Giants last year because it was just a team that showed more interest, and I didn't hear about the Forty Nine ers until after I said yes to the Giants and. It was already it was on the same day, so it didn't work out. But I'm glad I got to come come out this year for the tryout. You mentioned Anquan Bolden. What is your game like? Is it like an Anquan Bolden? I know you're a big guy. Who would you say that you pat in your game after? I would say a little bit like Anquan Bolden and a mixture of like Des Bryant when it comes to like the fifty fifty ball. I'm that. I think that's. The biggest part of my game is going up for the ball and and attacking the ball, the fifty fifty balls, and I just have a relentless type of like the way I go after the ball, just relentless. I don't care who's in front of me, I don't care if somebody's coming down the middle or anything like that. I'm just gonna go for the ball every time. So I would say a little bit mixture of those, and those are two people I watch the most. So we we kind of talked about who your influence is on the field. And uh, for our listeners, Michael has a really amazing story. I encourage you all to to read up on him. It's it's a really really cool story. Um, Michael, who are some of your influences off the field? Um, off the field, I would say one is my girlfriend. She's a she's a basketball player. She was a basketball player at, at Lakeland also, and she got all conference three times, but. She's the type of person that I'll be in the weight room and she'll be in there working just as hard as me. So she pushed me through. She pushed me to get to this point too. So a lot. Uh, thank her for that too. And um, another one of my influence would be, I'll say our, our receiver coach too, Eric Tresky. He, he played a big part in my whole development as a player because not ever playing receiver coming into college to make it to the NFL is not something that somebody that making it to NFL try that's it's not something that somebody does by themselves. It's 
that's always a team effort. Well, in my eyes, it's always a team effort. So my receiver coach played a big part. So he's a influence off the field, so to say, because we didn't just talk about football all the time. We talked about like hard day when life and stuff like that. So that's why I say he's a, a big influence off the field for me too. Michael, whether it's the 49ers or another team, what could you bring to an NFL franchise in terms of your game on the field, in the locker room, off the field? I would say my game on the field, I just, I'm always, I'm just a big play type of player and I'm the type of player that's, that's always willing to work. And I know sometimes like people want to be the best at whatever they do. I do want to be the best, but at the end of the day, I just want to, I want to win. And that's what do whatever I have to what do whatever for the team I have to win, whether it's playing special teams or switching positions. I really don't care. It's just about winning. If I have two catches in the game or if I have 10 catches a game, if the bottom line is we win, then I'm satisfied. And coming to Lakeland, we were, when I got there the first year, we went 2-8. and eight, And then after that, all the all my people in my class and, and, and on, we – we just set a pack like we don't want to lose anymore and we we won two straight conference championships after that so i'm i'm used to like coming into programs that are losing and just working as a team to for something better and michael uh talking about non-football uh a non-football story for a second um last year you were really close with uh a young boy named mason out in out in cedar grove and this is, this is yep. again, another really, really cool story. Um, you know, he was a cancer survivor and, uh, you know, just, just a bright, bright eyed little kid and you got really close with them. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was just at their house, uh, last week before I left. So it's, um, uh, we adopted Mason and his brother, um, John, uh, our team it was through the friends of Jacqueline foundation. And so Mason had a, a type of form of brain cancer two years ago, I would say, or a year and a half ago. And his, so we adopted him. And then through that program, his brother, his brother's fine, but we just adopted him because just because I think uh, kind of so they're doing it together. And he wasn't, he couldn't make it to many games because he was going through his chemo and was always in the hospital. So as a team, uh, we sent him a lot of stuff for for Christmas, and then during winter break, everybody usually goes home, and I'm the type of person. I stay at school. I've been at school all summer and all winter. I don't know. I have easy access to a gym, and I work out there sometimes. So I, me and our head coach went to visit him in the hospital to give him the, the presents the team gave him, and then after that, I got the mom, his mom's Shelly's number, and after that, it was kind of just uh, – history from there i went to the house a couple of times and then it started to be more than a couple of times and played video games with them i was at their house the week the day before i left uh for the camp just to see him and i always i wore his uh wristband it's, it's called mason power i wore it during practice so that's a little good luck charm that's that's super cool that's that's a really cool story and you know, just to follow up on that, does seeing him fight through, uh, you know, my mom passed away from cancer, so I know how it is to see somebody fight through that. Um, but seeing him mm -hmm. fight through that and, and, you know, see him beating it, does that really give you inspiration in, you, in your daily life? 
Definitely. It gave I think it gave a lot more than than me inspiration and the people on the team inspiration too. It, it but he was a he was a fighter through it all. Like even like when we gave him um I think we gave him a type of wristband and it was in a packaging and this was the first time I kinda met him for like for real, for real. And he was trying to open it and his mom tried to help him and he was like, No, I got it and seeing that, like, wow, like he doesn't even want like he doesn't want anybody. So like he 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 feels like he's strong enough to do even a little thing like open the wrap up, but it's probably the hardest thing that he's doing. So just seeing him fight through that with a smile on his face every time I saw him was pretty was was really inspiring. So it kind of just made it kind of just put everything into perspective for for me that there's a lot more going on in this world that and there's a lot of more other maces in this world that we should. As a as a individual, as a team, that you should go see sometime because little things like that make a whole difference. Because those kids, the both of them, see me as like some rock star, and I just see myself as a, you know a normal person. And it's cool to have a, like kids thinking that you're the coolest thing. So, and just knowing that they're like my little brothers, so it's just knowing that they're happy kind of makes me happy. So. Well, anything we could do to raise awareness for them or help them out at the web zone, we'd be glad to do it, Michael. So just let us know and, yeah. and we'd be glad to do that for you. So, well, you. we wish you the best of luck, Michael. I, we hope that we see you out there on Sundays soon. Take care and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. So that was a really interesting conversation. We usually don't get to hear uh, the other side of these undrafted free agents. We always, we always hear about the first, second, third round picks and what they go through, but the undrafted guys, they almost have to do more. They kind of have to do it on their own without all of the big fanfare. Yeah, we do. All you hear about are these, you know, the Miles Garrett's and the Solomon Thomas. And, and I understand that those are the big names, but these guys who are trying to make it and they have to work so hard and get tryouts. A lot of them have amazing stories. And, and I thought that Michael did. It was really cool to have him on and, and it was really great to be able to tell that story. And, and Zane and I talked off the air. We want to take different approaches to this podcast. We don't want to do the same thing in a way that everybody else is doing. We want to tell kind of different stories. And, and we hope that Michael was the first step to that, to get somebody on who's undrafted, to to see what, what they go through. I, I didn't really know that that they did the walkthrough and then they did the film and then they did the practice at, at a rookie tryout like that. So to hear that was cool. And with Michael, it's interesting when you heard the type of game that he played, because to me, that's just the type of receiver the 49ers can use, that big-bodied receiver who can who could win the 50-50 balls, because they don't really have that right now. Um, I, I actually, I put this out on Twitter today. If you look at the Niners, the presumptive top five receivers, you have to think it's Pierre Garçon, Jeremy Curley, Marquise Goodwin, Elgic Robinson, and uh, Trent Taylor. The only receiver out of that group that's over 5'10 is Pierre Garcon, and he's six, he's six feet tall. So, Zane, I'll ask you what I asked on Twitter today. Is that an issue, or does it not matter? Well, you know, they really could use Michael's height. You know, he's six foot two and over 200 pounds, you know, so he's, he is that big body receiver. Uh, and I think that you definitely want at least one of those guys on your squad just because it's, it's almost like a safety net. But... I really feel like the receivers that not only that they brought in for, for tryouts, but the guys that they've drafted and the guys that they've signed really fit the scheme and, and they fit Kyle Shanahan's scheme and they fit the type of offense that he wants to run. So there's a rhyme and reason as to why each one of those guys are on the roster. 
And I, I truly trust that it's because they fit perfectly into the, the, the puzzle that is Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Kind of starting to overthink the receivers a little bit. And maybe it's just I'm gun shy after seeing what we've gone through the past couple of years. But Art, if you look at last season, okay, this was like all time bad in terms of receivers. Every 49ers receiver, not not tight ends, not running backs, but like every receiver that they have on the team combined, combined 136 catches, 1,871 yards and 8 TDs last year. That's combined. That's like one season for Julio Jones, you know, and every single receiver on the team did that. And, and their leading receiver was Curly and Curly's a nice player. He had 64 catches for 667 yards. But like that was that was the leading receiver last year. There were 63 players, 63 players who had more receiving yards than the 49ers leading receiver last year. So I'm starting to overthink. They needed to overturn the roster at that position, and, and they did. But I'm just wondering, if, if you look at this group, Gar- Garcon's a good player. He, he, he's a really good player. He, he's a nice receiver. He's had some good years. Beyond him, you have Curly, who's your number two. And again, he's, I'd say he's a good receiver. He's, he's not a great receiver, but in stretch of the imagination. And after that, it's just a lot of question marks, isn't it? Yeah, there's not a lot of depth after that. Marquise Goodwin is a is a good speed type receiver. He's a good slot guy. Um, he can expose a lot of mismatches. Uh, Aldrick Robinson is one of those guys. He was Atlanta's fourth receiver last year, so he he didn't get much of a shot. But he's another one of those fast guys. That's that's not too big, but he's got speed. And Trent Taylor, I, I really think Bruce Ellington is gonna, is on his way out. He got injured again before um before OTAs before the first session of OTAs so he he didn't participate so I think that he might be on his way out and uh Smelter is coming off that that ACL Eric Rogers was released earlier so really there's outside of Garcon and Curly there's there's not a lot but you look at some of these schemes of of some of these offenses that that are prolific type offenses like the Philip Rivers and uh, the scheme that Philip Rivers runs and the scheme that Drew Brees runs and even Tom Brady, none of their receivers are really superstars. Brees had Colson for a little bit, but uh, you don't see a lot of these guys having those A1 type of receivers because A, they're good quarterbacks, but also they they are put in the proper scheme. So I really feel like you can scheme a lot of things uh, free and open when you're designing plays. And that's the the challenge that Kyle Shanahan has in front of him. You bring up a good point, and and I think when when I when I really dissect the whole thing, I probably have more faith in Kyle Shanahan than I do the guy the receivers on the roster. Does that make Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, I, absolutely. I, I, I know how you feel. Yeah, I, I have more more faith that because let's look at Goodwin in his career. His career again. 49 catches, 780 yards, six touchdowns. That's his career. That, that's a decent season for, for some people. Last year, in I don't know what his targets were like. He had 68 targets last year, and I don't know if they're taking deep shots with him. I, I don't know what the targets were like. I didn't watch enough of the Bills to, to really be able to tell you. But he only had 29 catches on those 68 targets. So you're talking about a 42% completion rate, which isn't great. Elgic Robinson, his career... 50 catches, 931 yards, seven touchdowns. And he was a name that stuck out to me last year. I remember seeing his name in Atlanta and hearing about him. But when you look at the stats, he only had 20 catches last year. So he was good for about a catch a game. So I look at these guys and can they be good in the system? Can they have career years? Absolutely. Especially because there's not a lot around them and the Niners may need them to. But I have more faith in Shanahan to put them in positions to play a role 
and scheme plays for them than I actually do as far as them as a place players. Yeah. And we have to remember that this is a real rebuilding process. So this was not the year that they were really going to go after it. They were, they were really just trying to lay the foundation and get guys who know the scheme, know the system to be able to put together a competent team. What Trent Balky used to do was he basically used to get guys that were kind of square pegs and try to fit them into a round hole. Like last year, the, the drafting of Aaron Burbridge, the 49ers needed a, a fast receiver, somebody who could stretch the field, and they drafted Aaron Burbridge, who's a possession guy. Who's a, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a nice receiver, but he's a possession guy. So really what you're, what you're getting is you're getting the foundation to be laid for, for a scheme to be implemented, and, and this is going to take a couple of years. It's not every single year that a, a stud receiver comes out in the draft that just tears up the league right off the bat. So they're probably waiting for that guy or a guy in free agency next year. So it really comes down to what their vision is. And I think their vision is, is that they're going to try to roll with what they have for this year and see where they're at at the end of the year. And if they need to address it at the end of the year, whether through the draft or free agency, they'll do it. I heard something about DeAndre Hopkins and the Niners. I don't remember what John Clayton maybe said it. I don't remember. I saw it someplace that the Niners, they were talking about the Niners might have interest in him, but that gets into the point with, with the salary cap. The Niners, they say the Niners have interest in everybody because they have a lot of money. I don't see them dropping $25 million on Kirk Cousins and another $15 million on, on Hopkins anyway. I just don't see them building the team that way. You, you brought up Burbage and um, Smelter. Does guys have any shot, you think? I, I really don't think so because when you're, especially when you're talking about holdovers, uh, Lynch and Shanahan have turned over over half of this roster. So there are currently 49 players out of the, the, the 90 that are on the roster. Actually, there are more. There are three more signed today uh, that were that had tryouts. So there are currently 52 players out of the 90 that are currently on the roster that, that weren't with the team last year. So that that's a huge roster turnover in one year. They basically took half the roster, flipped it, and I expect that the next half of the second half of the roster is going to be flipped next year. Joe Staley actually mentioned that he mentioned that he, after, after this past season ended that he expected most of the roster to be turned over within two years uh, when mm-hmm. he was talking about his own future. So that's basically what they're doing now. And, and, I, and I know that the Taylor was taken in the mid round. So you can say, well, I, I don't think he's a lock. I do think he's a lock. I don't think there's any way he doesn't make the team. I think he's a big part of the plans. I think that the, that the guy Shanahan took in, the, in those middle rounds, Kittle and Taylor and, and Joe Williams, the running back, I think he has plans for all of them in the future. I just don't know how much of an impact he's going to make this year. I, I hope he can come in and catch a lot of balls. Um, but it's going to really be interesting to see the pecking order for me. Now, do you think there's any way that somebody like Goodwin or Robinson don't make the team, or do you think that they're locks too? I think that they're both they're both locks too. Especially the funny thing is, I think that Robinson is actually more of a lock than Goodwin to make the team because Robinson played in Shanahan system system last year. So I think that they'll both make the team. I think that Trent Taylor also makes the team because he's got versatility, and that was kind of the theme of this past draft was was versatility and and guys that could do more than what was required of their position. So. Trent Taylor can return punts and, you know, he can be on the slot and he can, he can run bubble screens. So he, he has a lot of versatility within the offense and uh, a lot of people liken him to, to Wes Welker and Jul- Julian Edelman. And honestly, that's probably mostly because he's a, he's a small white guy, but <laughs> most likely because of that. But 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping he can have that same impact. He was great at uh, in college last year. He led the FBS in receiving. So I'm hoping he can have that same sort of impact with the 49ers. It'll just be interesting to see an offense for once. Because even when, listen, Jim Harbaugh, was a, was a, he's a great all-around coach. But those offenses weren't exactly high-flying. I mean, it was a lot of ground and pound. It was a lot of old school with, with the Harbaugh offenses. So even then, the receivers they had, you know, Anquan Bolden's a stud. You know, if, if they had a stud wide receiver, it was one thing. But you didn't really have an offense that schemed into a prolific offense you know what i mean by that like atlanta they had all these role players that shanahan schemed to get open whether it was um robinson whether it was taylor gabriel whether it was the two running backs he just did everybody play a role and, and he got them involved with certain plays and when was the last time the niners had an offense like like that i mean late 90s probably right <laughs> mid 90s it's been forever yeah it's been a while i'd say probably when to and garcia were were still on the squad and they yeah that, and coincidentally, that was the last time a 49ers receiver made the Pro Bowl. So that's that's another that's another thing. But you brought up uh, you brought up Taylor Gabriel, and that's that's kind of interesting. And, and talking with uh, Michael Esiobu today, it, you know, being an undrafted guy, Taylor Gabriel made made the Browns as an undrafted free agent, and then went to the the Falcons, you know, and and had a pretty good year last year. So that was when Kyle Shanahan was was with the Browns, is when Taylor Gabriel got signed. And another guy that that kind of made it for for a little bit when Shanahan was with the Redskins was uh, Brandon Banks. I don't know if you remember him. He was a kick returner. He was a, he was a smaller guy, but it, but a really yes. fast guy. Yep. yep. Yeah. So Brandon Banks and and Taylor Gabriel. That that's just you know that gives Michael some hope as well that he catches on somewhere and and uh, can contribute. There's nothing to say that these undrafted guys can't can't come in and contribute in some sort of, some sort of way. Yeah, Shanahan has an idea of of, of what he wants out of a player. And I think that was a, that was the theme too. In the guys that they signed um, as undrafted free agents, what did, what did you think of the Katie Cannon getting getting cut already? You know, I was just I was just going to mention him, and and it's interesting because he he was actually given a forty thousand dollars signing bonus, so they cut him despite the fact that they gave him a signing bonus uh, as an undrafted free agent. So it's it's interesting. And and Cam Inman put out a tweet earlier that kind of questioned, and Chris Biederman, our friend also put out a tweet tweet earlier that said that they were kind of questioning his heart and his, his motivation. And he was kind of jogging through some drills and he, and he wasn't hustling and he just didn't have that sense of urgency. So I think that's probably what happened because you don't usually see a guy who gets a signing bonus, get cut even before the first cuts happen. So I, I really think that it wasn't due to his play. It was probably due to, to maybe his attitude. How do you go undrafted and then dog it? How, how do you do that? How do you have an attitude? Where you, I, I, um, it's unbelievable to me. You have a golden opportunity. Like he could, he could have made the team. I really think he could have made the team. He had the kind of talent to do that. And when they make him a priority, you know, I think Cole Hikutini's making the team. They made him a priority. Cannon really could have made the team and to just dog. Uh, I, I don't get it. I don't. You know, maybe he was, he was projected to be like a fifth or sixth round pick this year. So maybe he just, you know, was feeling the after effects of that. It was right after the draft and he's just mentally, I mean, you're mentally kind of exhausted. It, and these guys, you're literally waiting for a call that will change your entire life. And if it doesn't come, then I'm sure that there's a lot of disappointment. There's only, you know, 260 plus players drafted every year. There's, you know, thousands of players available in college, right? So these, a lot of those guys, either their careers end, they go to the CFL or they have to come in like Michael did and, and, come into these open tryouts. So 
you know, I'm not making excuses, but you know, we, we don't really know what's, what's below the surface. And it's kind of like uh, Joe Williams, Joe uh, Williams's situation where he went through depression and he left Utah and uh, nobody really knew why. And people were questioning his heart, but he himself said that it was fine. So, you know, you really don't know what's going on with these guys underneath the surface. Shouldn't that light a fire under you though? Especially if you're supposed to be a fourth or fifth round pick and they pass over you. So don't you want to just go and, and just prove yourself? I would think for him, he had a golden opportunity because like we're talking about, the Niners really don't have a set depth chart at receiver other than a few guys. So for him, he could have gone in there and he he could have made a huge impact early. I just I'm interested to see if if he gets picked up by another team or if, you know, maybe he just has such a, a bad rep right now that it, that's it for him. Well, it's it's a pretty small league in that sense that word does get around. So for his sake, I hope that that he's able to to catch on somewhere else. But you you really don't know, and and the NFL is is a short lived dream for a lot of people, and it's it's highly competitive. And there, if you don't want to play, then there's going to be five guys that are ready to take your spot. Yep, yep. I do want to say um, we mentioned briefly earlier that we're we're trying to sort of come at things from from a different angles, and and I want to ask our listeners as well if you have a topic you want to hear about, you know, something outside the box. It doesn't have to be, you know, how are the new additions going to do, or, or or questions that you're used to hearing, like something outside the box. Just whether it's you know how an undrafted free agent makes a team or anything like that, we'd be glad to hear it. We'd be glad to hear your suggestions. Um, Zane and I want to come at the show from a different angle. We want to make it a show for the fans. Um, we want to make it an informative show. So feel free to tweet at us. Feel free to leave comments at the podcast or the website and, and let us know some of the topics you would want to hear. Well, you know what's going to happen now, right? Somebody's going to come at us and be like, can you solve this quantum physics equation for me? <laughs> it's not football related. <laughs> yeah, it's not football, <laughs> not football related. We're outside of the box, but but no, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. This is this is for you, the fans. This uh, we we love doing this, and and we love bringing you guys information. We love having guests on and 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 picking their brains. So this is for you, the fans. So if there's anything that you guys feel like we're missing or feel like you want to hear about, please do let us know, and and we'll do our best to address it on the air. Absolutely, Zane. Our next show is is going to be our tenth show. It's like a milestone for us. That is a milestone, and I just like to say that we hit. 5k on the last 5,000 listens on SoundCloud on the last podcast. So thank you so much to the fans. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. Thank you so much for retweeting us. Thank you so much for following us on Twitter. And thank you so much, most of all, for giving us your time because your time is precious. Absolutely. And thank you, Matt Mayoko, <laughs> for helping yeah. make that possible. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, as I, I want to, as an aside, I want to, I want to talk about this real quick. Um, and we're up against the clock and everything here, but I want to talk about this real quick. Um, Peter King did a did a Monday morning quarterback uh, issue about being in the 49ers draft war room. And if you haven't read it, I, I and if anybody else hasn't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. And just the vibe that you got from what he wrote and just the amount of communication between John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and Parag Marate. I mean, they even found a role for Parag that, that everybody's comfortable with. The amount of communication and the comfort level between all of those that you read about, it's it's unreal and it's so welcome. Yeah, that was a great article. That was a great article. And now all of a sudden, you know, the Niners were just, it was within the last year, ESPN ranked them, not that I care what ESPN thinks, but ESPN ranked them the worst franchise in sports. And they've gone from that to now, every, everybody's impressed with what's going on there. And obviously it still has to translate onto the field, but 
the brick by brick, you know, the, the baby steps that they're taking, everything's going in the right direction. It's really exciting. Yeah, and apparently Jed York wants to have dinner with Jim Harbaugh too. So I guess everything is oh, it's just coming up roses <laughs> in 49er land, right? Still hunky dory till they go four and twelve and we're all mad again. So yeah, we start flying some more banners up above his head and everything. <laughs> <laughs> no seven, seven and nine this year. That's that's my that's my prediction. I'm sure we'll do a prediction episode, but I think right now seven and nine is where I think they're going to be. I'm going to go a little bit more conservative. I'll say six and ten, but you know, I'll, I don't think we'll be seeing any banners fly over the stadium. But I, I want to give props to the 49ers fans on that one. You basically, you know cause Jed York to change co- coaches twice because of flying banners over his head, which is awesome, which is hilarious and awesome. But, um, you know, with all due respect to Jed York, you know, I think that he, he got the, got it right this time. I think that he really cares about winning and he, and he showed it in this instance. So I, I think that he got it right. And, and I'm excited. Looks like he learned from his mistakes for sure, which is, you know, it's all you can do, you know, nobody's perfect. And, and he seems like he wants to win and he's doing the right things to do so now. So, it's all good, Jed. Maybe he'll come on one day and talk to us. So. I really hope so. I really, you know, I would really love to talk to him and kind of just like, you know, he he owns my favorite team, right? So I would just love to just pick his brain to see what it's like to 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 be there and be in the building every day and talk to the 49er greats and, and do all of the things that I would love to do. So I would love to talk to him if if we had the chance and if we were so lucky enough to to uh, have him on the show. Maybe one day. We'll see. Maybe one day he'll actually actually come on. We'll just sit outside his house. He's he's got to say yes at some point, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zane. Well, it's fun as always. Thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, this is Al Sacco. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.